Hello, and welcome to the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorders Society. I am Thiago Teide, professor at the University Medical Center Göttingen in Germany, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Professor Jose Beso, professor of neurology at SINAC, Center Hospital Puerta del Sur, and São Pablo University here in Madrid. So, hi, Jose. How are you enjoying the MBS Congress? Well, this is yet um, another highlight for meeting, no doubt. In this instance, obviously, everything is uh, influenced by the very fact that uh, there have been no other in-person meeting for three years, uh, which make it uh, perhaps a little bit more emotional and personal with uh, something that some feature of this year meeting is what I spend more time speaking and saluting people than to, to the actual core of any normal meeting. But this is where we are currently. The meeting is broad as it's always been the last many years and clearly representing the evolution of this area of neurology, of movement disorders. Movement disorders has evolved in such a way that is now a uh, really uh, very wide uh, area of knowledge, study and development. And I think the meeting captures uh, that uh, variety retrospectively. Perhaps 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the meeting was less wider, was more narrow, uh, because developments were more focused. Nevertheless, to be more concrete, I think we can take uh, today's presidential lectures as an example of uh, how the field is evolving. Today, we got uh, Professor Kailas Basia speaking about uh, genetic uh, movement disorders and the role of phenotyping. Currently, the, there are an enormous variety of movement disorders and with plus minus all the clinical uh, presentations, all the clinical manifestations which has a genetic basis. And that is expanding more and more, and we've better more and more integrated. And Bastian's point is that really featuring and well-defining the clinical presentation is still critically important, and she thinks that it will be important for a long time, at least. I would even be stronger. I think, I think uh, genetics will only be confused and will be disturbed in its development if clinical evaluation is not correct. And we are seeing that, in fact. In fact, this is a threat that has less emphasis is made in the clinical details and the very roots of, of this speciality. This may actually lead to more confusion rather than improvement. Having said that, it is obvious that the more one understands the molecular basis of um, a disease, the better uh, one can typify, sub-typify, that was the second lecture of Professor Hattori, indicating how a mutation, he of course devoted most of his life to parking and, and the mechanism associated, but uh, clearly, and I think this is a very interesting message, clearly a mutation by itself that's not explained in this instant Parkinson's disease to begin with because the mutation is universal 
in the nervous system or in the body. And uh, those patients, for instance, very good examples, patients with blocking actually have a, a very quite a specific then you run on off for a long time. And um, Hattori was actually wondering how can it be this is so uh, slowly progressive and, and relatively limited uh, clinically uh, when for a, such a for a mutation which is so important at the mitochondrial level and the uh, acting synapses, um, synuclei, etc. So clearly one is I think it still needs uh, to uh, be very accurate and in defining what the patient has. And I think for the time being, mid-future, not near-future, mid-future, it would be a tremendous error to put all the trust and hope in the genetic analysis. Because after all, we know that imaging has not resolved neurology. It has helped a lot, but it still has not resolved. Then is this matter of therapy. Uh, therapy for Parkinson's disease, which is abundant. There's nothing new in that regard because every year there is an enormous abundance of therapies, most of which, if not all, are symptomatic. So this is my next uh, clear message. Uh, the, the real and need for Parkinson's disease is to tackle and to approach the, the process, not just uh, the clinical manifestations, which now are very described or very overtly describes not only the typical features of motors, a whole plethora of clinical manifestation, but uh, symptoms are more or less treatable, etc. Lot to improve, but nevertheless, uh, the real thing here is to approach uh, neurodegeneration and disease. And on that regard, there is less, although clearly a major effort. But of course, imaging is the real highlight of neurology, neuroscience, and neurodegeneration in particular. And the inkling, the upcoming, this data about PET uh, imaging or sinucleine uptake, I think that is this year, race rule is really concerned and made it available. It's also important to point out what is missing. And there are a few things that I sense that are being left out. Because, after all, what medicine and research and academic medicine does is influenced by fashion and is influenced by opportunities. And then, for instance, we already have had quite a few meetings where other movement disorders, like myoclonus, are practically absent. Tourette, very little about tics and Tourette. Pathophysiology, as used to be in humans, is also very limited. So it's a shift. Of course, 20, 25 years ago, there was nothing about imaging. There was not pet, etc. So it's balance uh, something dies out. But I do wonder why there is so little advance on Mark's lungs. So yeah. I, I, I leave it in there. <laughs> Your uh, broad view of the field for such a long time is really an advantage because you allow us to integrate what has been there for a while, what's new, 
what we need to do next. So I think you touched on very important points and we're still on day two of Congress. So of course, there's still much more to come, but I believe the presidential lectures today were very good in telling us that we need the, the clinical diagnosis and we need, of course, the new tools, the genetics, the mechanisms. And so I think that's very important. And we need these applied not only to Parkinson's, but to the other movement disorders, as you just pointed out. So you will be talking on Sunday about the highlights of the year in Parkinsonism. Is there something else you would like to add regarding what you will be mentioning in yes. your presentation? Certainly. Certainly. I'm going to make a few general comments, some broad ideas about what is happening last year in PD, Parkinsonism. And then I'm going to concentrate in vulnerability and understanding that uh, if one takes Parkinson's disease early in the evolution in relatively non-very aged people, let's say people around 60, which is a medium age of onset uh, for most of the studies, but not people who are 77, 82. So PD typically there is quite restricted to, is mainly clinically expressed by the motor focal problems and non-motor manifestations occur much late. But for me, and, and conceptually and instrumentally, the early PD, if it's 50 better than 60, represents the essence of the disease. And then whatever else associated with aging is an evolution of the principal phenomenon. So taking a younger a group of people with PD, they are very focal, extremely typically limited to one upper limb and distant, etc. And in those people, the neuronal loss, synaptic loss, is quite limited actually to the nigrostriatal system. It's not completely, one would argue this is not true, and it's not true. It says that by and large, this is the principle pathology and principal alteration. And so why those cells, you know, ventrolateral nigra, compactor cells projecting to the posterior putamen, the way those terminals are especially vulnerable, probably that have started to occur in those particular patients 15 years earlier, 10 years earlier at least, and clearly we know it's a very slow phenomenon. So why somebody who is 45 is already having a pathological process, which is already uh, damaging, although unnoticed, but it's already damaging. So they have to be very vulnerable. And because we understand that Universal mutation actually is also affected by vulnerability because those neurons are precisely more, much more affected than anyone else. It makes a, a wonderful scenario. So I've been revising and reviewing articles related with phenotyping at the molecular genetical level, the ventrolateral substantia nigra, the topography of those cells, their projection, and also, the afferents are very fascinating. Of course, most of these studies are done in robins, and that is a limitation. But I think at this very basic level, it's probably true. But we need to remember that the robins never has Parkinson's disease spontaneously, not even monkeys have Parkinson's disease spontaneously. So, obviously, those features 
that are being now defined, like the number of enzymes that are expressed, the connectivity, etc. Those features by themselves are necessary, but not enough to explain the degeneration. So I'll be revising that mainly and then showing some more recent studies showing also what is the very early changes that occur at the cortical level, which is a kind of little new look. So we're going to start looking at PD, not only from bottom up, but also from the top down. Great. I'm looking forward to listening to you. And uh, I think the message is really that we still need a lot of research to be done. So, Jose, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure having this uh, meeting with you on the podcast. We've interviewed Professor Jose Obezo and discussed the highlights of the MDS Congress in Basic Science. So thank you all for listening and join us in our upcoming podcasts. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.